please turn to the book of Jonah, which is right after Obadiah. I know you you know that one by memory. Book of Jonah. I have uh, two contributions to make this weekend, tonight and then Sunday morning, and I'll be doing the book of Jonah. When I say, let's play a word association game, ready? When I say Jonah, you say whale. whale. Isn't that incredible that only three verses out of 48, and that's all we know about Jonah, that it's more like just a Sunday school story. It's only three verses out of 48. The story's not about the whale. So it's uh, fascinating to get to know this, this prophet Jonah. It's only four chapters long. And the first two chapters are like a rehearsal for the second two chapters. It's written in an interesting motif. We won't get into all that because that's just bore you unless you're taking a test. Uh, but it's, a, it's an interesting book. They, most uh, Hebrew scholars believe that the book of Jonah was used around campfires, was used as a, like a proverb, was used like a tale, although it's historically true because Jesus used it. But uh, they used it because God was giving instruction to the whole nation through the prophet's actions. And it became something that uh, not only all the children, but all the children of Israel needed to listen to and to heed. Uh, Jonah is a book filled with surprises, hair-raising, eye-popping phenomena. The violent storm, the submarine-like fish. Jonah composes a song inside of a fish. What excuse do any of us have now? I mean, if you can compose a song inside of a fish, wow, that's some feat. Uh, The mass repentance of a wicked city. Think of New York all at once turning to the Lord. That's what Nineveh was in that time. It was only 120,000 people, but uh, that was a huge metropolis in the ancient world. And a magic plant. What a story. It's not a, it doesn't have the typical elements of prophetic literature, um, but indeed is part of the canon. And um, it's a fascinating little book that we'll take a little adventure here through these next two sessions. Uh, Chapters one and three uh, show us Jonah among the people, dealing with things, we'll get to that in a minute. Chapter two and four have Jonah alone with God. Uh, The Hebrew word great, G-R-E-A-T, is employed 14 times in the book of Jonah. You always pay attention to words of repetition when you're learning what the book is about because when a word is repeated a lot of times, even if you don't know Hebrew or Greek, uh, you can get the general gist of what a passage is about. God's greatness is contrasted in the book of Jonah with Jonah's meanness and malevolence. Um, he, he's not a good boy in this. And this is an incredible, it's incredible because all the prophets are basically heroes in the Bible for the most part. Jonah is not a hero. He's an, he's an anti-hero. Um, but nevertheless, there's some fascinating things that happen to him here. But uh, his life and his response to God sending him to Nineveh I think will be very instructive for us before the weekend's over. The word appointed is employed in this book four times in this short book, underscoring God's sovereignty. 
So you've got two things that are happening. God's sovereignty in play, God's providence uh, going on, uh, ordering everything, and Jonah's response to it or non-response, as we're going to find out. So let's start with verse 1. If I can have my two readers come up, Zoe and Samuel, quickly, 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 they're going to read to us in uh, Greek from the Septuagint. No, they're not. Here, both on the same side. You have to stand next to each other. Okay, chapter one, chapter two. Then help me on Sunday two with three and four. All right, first Zoe. Now the Lord of the Lord. Oh. Yay. Okay. No, she can't. She can't. No. That's fine. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for the there is evil has come up, up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Terasha from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Terasha, Teresh. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Teresh, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, a so that the tempest. ship threatened to break up. Then the marines, mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you? The sea may be quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will be quiet for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us perish, for this man's life lay not on us in innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it is pleased with you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Thank you, Zoe. And the Lord appointed a great fish oh, to yeah. swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish that's, three days that's and That's the three most nights. important verse. <laughs> Sorry to cut you off there. Chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me, and out of the belly of Shiloh I cried, and he heard my voice, for you cast me into deep, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all the waves in your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet shall I again look upon your holy temple? The waters closed in over me to take my life. 
The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to him, came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake though for those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Thank you very much. You did a great job. Thank you for helping me. So the Lord tells him, I want to send you to Nineveh and I want you to give them a message. Now, it's interesting for us to do a little research here. Um, <clears throat> about the time of when Jonah was prophesying in Israel, um, they haven't been taken captive yet. Uh, Assyria took them captive in 722 BC and they dispersed all over the world. There was no more Israel. Only Judah was left. That's where Jeremiah started his preaching. But while Israel was intact, uh, they were being oppressed by a group called the Arameans. Pardon me. Uh, the Assyrians came to their aid and they crushed the enemy, their oppressors. And it's about this time between 782 and 753. Remember, we're going backwards with BC. You've got to go backwards to go forwards. Confusing. But in 722, there's no more Israel. So just before that happens, Jonah's prophesying, and he got to witness the Assyrians delivering Israel from an oppressor. Now he's being sent to them. But he definitely has a problem with going. Now you would think he would be grateful to this group of people for setting them free from their oppressors. You would think he would be grateful for the deliverance that they've experienced as a nation, that he could perhaps send a message to them that they too might be delivered. But no, he not only bristles at the command to go, he heads in the exact opposite direction. Geographically, Tarshish is the exactly opposite direction from Nineveh, separated by about 900 nautical I mean, he's running away. First of all, one thing that is a challenge for him, rarely, if ever, I think we only find it in Jonah, where a prophet has to travel to a foreign country to prophesy. Normally, they say these things about destruction and everything that are going to happen um, from their hometown. But he's got to go on a trip, and there's no Marriott's, there's no cell phones, there's nothing. So he's a little bit put off. The Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, great metropolis. Uh, so Israel is, the problem with the Assyrians is they're pagans and they're violent people. And so even though they delivered uh, Israel, they had some demands on them. So the nationals were a little bit uptight about the Assyrian sort of uh, quasi-occupation, which in the end, became their destruction. 
Assyria took them out. Babylon took out Judah. Uh, the Assyrians took out Israel. And so uh, he has a very bad attitude toward these Assyrian people. They're pretty ruthless. When they actually went in to take over a territory, they would put the king's head, the prince's head, the prince's family on stakes lining the roads. These were a vicious, brutal people. So when it says they're evil ways, it wasn't like they were just shortchanging at the cash register or something or cheating on their taxes. They were pretty brutal people. And Jonah is put off that God sends him there. And so um, after, it's, it's fascinating um, when we get to find out what, the reason why he hesitated and the reason why he resisted going, his name means dove. Jonah's name means dove. You would think that he would be commissioned to bring peace to the people. But God prescribes destruction, however the story doesn't end there. So he flees to Tarshish, and he pays his fare, and he gets in a boat, and he pretty quickly uh, goes to a sleep goes to sleep in the, in the hold of the ship. How can you, you say, uh, no to God, right? He's a prophet. He goes to sleep in the hold of the ship like, I got over that one. You know, he won't find me here. I really pulled one off, didn't I? How can you go to sleep? Wouldn't you have some kind of sense of terror that something's going to happen? Well, in fact, we know what was happening. One commentator says this, Yahweh gives a command to Nineveh for, for Jonah to go to Nineveh, but Jonah goes off on a journey on his own. And uh, why we're looking at this here is I'm understanding the spirit of our time here is uh, I think the, the guys gave the name Embark or Getting Going or something, I can't remember. But what came to my mind was that often so often for us, the Lord has told us in Matthew 28 to go. And what we're going to find is, and don't take this overly seriously because it ends pretty happy, but maybe there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us where we have the command to go and yet we choose our own path on our own journey and sometimes even refuse to speak up for the Lord. But Yahweh, the Lord of the nations to whom the whole world is held morally responsible, God commands, and Jonah basically says, no way, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. But the word great is inserted here, like I said, 14 times. And the whole book proves that God is greater than Nineveh, and God is greater than Jonah. He takes off, <clears throat> and here's the reason we find in Jonah chapter 4, skipping ahead, verses 2 and 3, he said, he prayed to the Lord and said, Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. So we're going to find out the reason here. For I knew, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life for me, for it's better me, for me to die than to live. What? Jonah has his theology right. He knows God. He knows God is probably going to do something like this. But there's an absolute disconnect 
between his theology, his attitude, and his action. I wrote down here, Jonah, pre-whale, is sinning against the Lord and deserves death for his utter contempt and sheer rebellion against his master. This, this is not a new believer. This is a man who's been appointed a prophet to the nations. This is a man who's sworn his allegiance. Uh, a prophet basically means a mouthpiece. That you would make a declaration on God's behalf to see his purposes filled out into the world. And he's taking this kind of action against the Lord. The prophetic hero becomes a villain in this story. He says to get, to get away from the presence of the Lord in verse 3 means, John Calvin says, means to withdraw yourself from the service of the Lord. Ready? To quit. So this was a Jonathan. Well, here's my resignation paper. I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. Wake me up when it's over, when we get to Tarshish. He thinks he can quit on the Lord. Well, Yahweh will not be brushed aside nor ignored. The scriptures say, God throws down upon the sea a gale so furious that even the experienced sailors are frightened. And where's Jonah? Asleep. Thinks he can get away with it. But Jonah's rebellion is now putting innocent lives in grave danger. They're panicking, asking everybody on the ship to pray to their gods. You know, they, they don't know anything. But they've got enough on the ball to think something's happening to a supernatural. <laughs> and some god must be behind it. Is it your god? Is it your god? Is it your god? And so they find Jonah in the hold of the ship. And the captain wakes up and says, what are you doing? We're dying up here. Pray to your god. And Jonah doesn't pray. He has really backslidden pretty severely here when he tells the sailors, when they ask him, he doesn't tell them his occupation. What's your occupation? He doesn't tell them. He gives some generic answer, I fear the Lord. You're right. No, you don't. Again, a nice packaged, neat, perfect little theology but uh, no heart response to it. No action taken. At this point, the sailors, who are all non-covenantal, they're all pagans, have more faith and fear of God and practicing it than Jonah does. Listen to chapter 1, verse 14. They called out to the Lord, this is the sailors, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. They have a better understanding of God than Jonah does. He can articulate it. You heard him in chapter 4. And he betrays himself by using the highest form of knowing in the Hebrew language. For I knew, that word there means by revelation knowledge because I'm a prophet, I knew. And yet I took this action. Wow. But God is relentless. So the men throw Jonah into the raging sea and it becomes still. You know, he's also a coward if you don't mind me saying here. Why don't you throw yourself overboard? 
He's so self-absorbed, he can't bring himself to do the right thing. He's got to have somebody else do it. Wow. One sixteen. Then the sailors feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So you can see the, the story of Jonah has got this amazing compliment thing going on here, showing God and his actions, the pagans and their actions, and then God's own prophet Jonah and his actions. And at this point, we're kind of cheering for the sailors at this point more than we are Jonah. Non-covenantal pagans are more righteous in this story than one of God's elect and a prophet. What happened to Jonah? What happened to him? I'm going to just give you, these are my thoughts for the most part as I've mused on this story. Jonah had become self-centered, selfish, and arrogant. He was called to be a prophet, such an honor, such a regal calling. But stop thinking of service to the king and only thought of self-preservation. Like the preachers who start out real good and then by the time they accumulate their second Cadillac and their fourth vacation home, something else takes over in their life. And they no longer see themselves as servants of the Lord, but as something else. It's interesting, in our country, nobody calls himself a public servant anymore. It's kind of switched around, if you don't mind me saying. We kind of serve them now. We do what they tell us to do. Uh, something's gone bad. And it's the spirit of the age, but we can never allow that spirit of the age to happen to us. This happens to all of us when we fail to live our lives. Corum Deo, that's a little Latin phrase. It means before the face of God. When we don't live before the face of God, if he's just a Sunday statue that we throw some money at, clap our hands a couple times and walk away, it's, there's no way that your heart won't become like Jonah's. And Jonah had failed the Lord in that respect. In our hardness of heart, we turn God into a cosmic butler or a genie in, the lamp, a genie in a lamp to fulfill our needs instead of kneeling before his majesty daily saying, Behold your servant here to do your bidding for your glory, O Lord. Which is what I do every morning. I, beat, I go down on one knee so the dog doesn't find me before the dog finds me. And I remind myself I'm a servant of the Lord. The Lord is king. I live for him. I don't live for me. My service, my life has been sacrificed, given over. I'm a living sacrifice. And I always agree with Paul before I get my razor blade out. <clears throat> That uh, um, Galatians 2.20, I'm blanking, how does it go? Galatians 2.20, for it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He said, it's no longer I who live. We've got to get that straight, and I'm afraid Jonah had lost his way. Number two, what happened to Jonah? He allowed prejudice and vengeance to enter his heart. I don't doubt that he prayed some prayers like, smash them, O oh, oh Lord, for their wickedness. Judge them. Uh, annihilate them. And we might see something on the news and we might quickly say, Lord, judge them and Lord, execute them. And mm, we could have a little Jonah problem going on in our hearts when we're so quick to go to judgment when in this story, though God had every right to, he didn't on two occasions. 
we're going to see in chapter 2, where Jonah received this firsthand. He was guilty, and yet God did not judge him. He knew God's compassion, but didn't want to see it. He knew God's compassion, but did not want to see it. Oh, I wrote this down wrong. Pardon me. Let me decipher my own handwriting. He was happy for God's compassion to be directed at him, but not to anyone else. And this from a prophet. Quite a a contrast I wrote down from Jesus for giving at the cross to Jonah not wanting to talk to the filthy Gentiles about the Lord. Because the Lord might show mercy. We've got to be careful in our time where everybody is so quick to give their opinion and so quick to judge that we don't fall into this trap because we're not God. We're servants of the Lord and we're called to know him and to be like him and to demonstrate his kind of mercy and compassion. Judgment is in the hands of the Lord. It's not for us to direct. Reminded me of a story when Molly and I lived in England. Uh, I was kind of an apprentice, you know, sort of a Padawan being instructed there. And um, I was called in to sit with, uh, I can't remember who I was with. I think it might have been Graham Deacon. But anyway, um, come on in here, Steve, watch me do, help this lady and her husband. So I'm sitting there listening. He was a great pastor, a great guy. And uh, the, the husband had a drinking problem. And she had had enough. She was fed up with him. And she wanted to get away from him. She wanted to know, what can I do? And all these other kind of things. So Graham appealed to the man and said, can we meet for some time? I want to help you. Well, lo and behold, uh, sometimes when you throw the hook in, it actually takes hooks or something. And the man changed. He repented of his ways, repented of his drinking, got cleaned up, stopped drinking, started going to the church, serving um, the whole, yeah, I mean, the best you can see of these kind of situations. And then the wife quickly announces she's divorcing him. You see, she didn't want her husband to get all cleaned up. She wanted the pastor to tongue lash him and be on her side. And she accused the church of all kinds of things, you know, being too soft on him, doing all these kind of things. But I never forgot that situation ever. How incredible that the woman comes under the guise of help our marriage, help my husband. But that's really not what was in her heart. Put the hammer to him. He has it coming. And yet the Lord saved him instead. Pretty incredible, huh? Good thing Jonah wasn't called to witness to that guy because he would have done the same thing. Number three, and here's really the heart. If you forget anything I said, here's really the heart of what I want to say this weekend, really. Number three, I think Jonah forgot. And waxing a little poetic, I wrote down. He forgot how the cords of redemptive love wrapped around his miserable frame and put him into royal service. He had forgotten. Jonah, God's salvation, this is great for me, but to hell with everybody else. That's the attitude that he caught, uh, which 
God helps him within the story. I wrote down here, the wages of sin are death. And Jonah deserved to die for his sins in a watery grave. Chapter 117, which I cut off poor Zoe. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. For Jonah, not punishment, he deserved it. And we're all sitting here saying, he deserved it. He deserved to sink all the way to the bottom and gulp as much water as he possibly can. That son of a gun, who does he think he is? But God didn't punish him. God saved him. The fish stands for the amazing grace of Yahweh. Certainly Jonah was sinking. The fish came down to where he was and lifted him up to a new life. And then we have that great prayer of Jonah in chapter 2, Jonah's praise. And I particularly want you to focus on 2.7. He says, as I was losing consciousness, that's what it means when, as I was fainting away, as I was losing consciousness, he said this, I remembered Yahweh. In the belly is born a new Jonah who declares at the end of the song, salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land, kind of like a physical birth. And all the stuff that's all over him, and you can imagine what, you've all seen Pinocchio, you know what a fish can eat. And uh, all there, and he's lying and all this gook and everything. And it's what they don't tell the new father about what's going to happen when the baby comes. Oh, it's breathing and coaching. This is great. Oh, I can do this. Holy mackerel. Why didn't you? They didn't tell you any of this. Somehow women innately know, but we don't know. I think that's why my dad was getting a haircut when I was born, because they just, forget it. I'm not going in there. But that's kind of what was happening with Jonah. He was coming out a new man, all because of the mercy of God. Belched out on that beach. Then Jonah takes up his prophetic mantle again. In verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh in chapter 3, according to the word of the Lord. So he did an about face, changed his ways, all because of the mercy and the grace that was given him. And so, as I've written down here, the prophetic narrative causes us to wonder, do we all have a little Jonah in us? His new service to the Lord was motivated by knowing how the grace of God had met him and rescued him from death. Now he's motivated, you see. What will motivate us? I wrote down here in closing, do we have good theology but no compassion for the lost that propels us to action? Do we harbor prejudices and vengeance in our hearts toward anyone? Would we rather see the world judged harshly by God or saved by his mercy? Just like we were. So the simple solution tonight, and we'll do chapters three and four on Sunday by the grace of God. The solution tonight is remember. Remember God is great. He's greater than you. 
greater than Nineveh. He's greater than Jonah. He's the Lord. And salvation belongs to the Lord. And out of the muck of the world, with seaweed wrapped all around your face, you filthy, miserable human being, he chose you. He chose you. Don't forget. Don't ever forget.